0: Today's reading comes from Hebrews chapter 7 verses 23 through 28, chapter 9 verse 26, and chapter 10 verses 19 through 22. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the, to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you're seated, let us draw near to that throne of grace together. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and Lord... um, we just confess our weakness. We are weak. We are broken. We are a hurting and sinful people. But you are a good and loving God. And Father, we ask that this morning uh, you would work through my great weakness to lift up Jesus and exalt him in our, our hearts this morning. In all of our hearts. What we need is him. We need him to increase in every way. And we ask that you would do that by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. This morning, we are in our second message or second Sunday in our Advent series here at Christ City Church. But since we're a modern church and we meet in a theater, many of us maybe don't even know what Advent is. What is this Advent thing? It's not like this is something that's very familiar with us. Maybe. Maybe. Well, if that's you, uh, then let me remind you, Advent is a season that leads up to Christmas, celebrated traditionally in the church, including each of the four Sundays in December that lead up to Christmas and also including Christmas. And traditionally, the church has celebrated this entire Advent season as a way of remembering that Jesus Christ has come, that he came uh, 2,020 plus years ago, and that he has an enduring ministry through his church on this earth. But Christians celebrate this season of Advent. We celebrate it though with this mixture of of both joy that Jesus has come. We're really so thankful and praising God as we remember that that He came, that He's accomplished our salvation. But we celebrate it also with a mixture of, of longing mixed in. Right? We we realize maybe more poignantly than ever at Christmas time and this month that not all the things that Jesus has promised are finished. That we long for him to fulfill all of his promises, to make all things new, to finally bring an end to death and to sin and to suffering. We celebrate the season with longing as, as we know the love of God for us through Jesus Christ and his first coming through the Holy Spirit poured out into our lives. But man, we just want him to come back. We just want to be with him. We want to know his love face to face. We want our faith to become sight in the presence of Jesus when he establishes his kingdom here forever, as he promises to do. And this season, as we are longing for Jesus, as we're thinking about Advent, we're celebrating who he is as the turning point in history. That's the title of our Advent series, the turning point of history. And what we mean by that is that we're, we're looking at the ways Christ city that, that, that the Bible— is more excited about Christmas than you ever were as a 10-year-old kid. The Bible loses sleep anticipating Christmas. The Bible prophesied Jesus was going to come a long time before he came, longing for him to come as a center point of history. And longing for him to come in particular... In three ways, we're looking at the center point of history, looking at that turning point of history with Jesus at the center in three ways. As he fulfills three of the essential roles that God used to accomplish our salvation. Look at the way that Jesus fulfills the role of king. He's the king who who brings us back under the loving and compassionate rule of our great God. But he's also the king we're going to look at in a couple of weeks who comes back, who promises to come back and to right every wrong, to make all things new, to kill death and to bring life. We're also looking at Jesus as a new and better priest. Uh, there's all kinds of priests in the Old Testament. We're going to read about that today, talk about today. Um, but we're looking at the way that Jesus is a new and better priest who finally brings us completely into the presence of God, mediates our relationship fully through his sacrifice. We're going to look third, uh, not this week, but next week now, at the new and better prophet, the way that Jesus comes to fulfill the role of prophet. That he doesn't just speak God's words to us uh, as a, a human person, kind of hearing something from God and communicating it to us through stone tablets or writing on pages, but that God himself takes on flesh and comes to communicate himself to us through Jesus. So we're looking at priests today as we are thinking about Jesus as the center of history, as he fulfills that role in particular. And we're going to look at him as priest, uh, looking at three points. We're going to look at our need for our priest, number one. Number two, the role of the priest. And then number three, the greater priest. So the need for a priest, the role for a priest, and then number three, the greater priest. So we're going to jump in right now to our first point, the need for a priest. But let's be honest. If, If it was weird to talk about a king last week in our modern context, how much more weird is it to talk about a priest? Like this is not something that's intuitive to us, I don't think. This is, this is more difficult for us. And if it's strange to us, then one of the problems that happens is that it can be really weird and really hard for us to understand why it would be important that Jesus is this priest who's come. Why does that matter? Well, it does matter. It matters like crazy, but for you to understand why it matters and to know deeply uh, how it matters, we're going to have to come, in it, come at it through the back door. Priests aren't intuitive. We're going to try and come around the back door here. So the priest thing, it's a bit confusing for us, but just pause that for a second. We'll come at it through the side door or through the back door because we don't get the priest's idea, but we do understand the feeling of trying to live up to an ideal and then failing in it, don't we? We know what it means to try to live up to a standard or to an ideal and then to fail at it. Christ City Church, we all have hopes and dreams, don't we? We all have hopes and dreams and ideals and standards for ourselves. And we all know too intimately, perhaps the feeling of the shame of not living up to those ideals, the failings to be the sorts of people that we know we should be as those things press on our hearts or the failings to live up to the standards that we've set for ourselves. And we try again and again and again, and we can't measure up or the failings to live up maybe to the standards that somebody else has set for you. Somebody you love and admire, and esteem, at how you can never live up to what they call you to. Or failings to live up to some religious standard and to be right with the universe or with a God or with gods of some kind. We fail in our lives. And when we fail, we feel shame, I think. And there's a shame and a, and a guilt that goes along with it. And in that shame, what do we do? In that shame, we try to make up for our failures, right? We try to kind of bridge the gap between. Ourselves and who we are and our failures and with that ideal or that goal or that standard that we set for ourselves, we try to get there. I was talking about this with Heather this week, and she said, "Hey, Brent, I've got an illustration for you." So whenever my wife says it, I I take her illustrations. And um, she was talking about the way that she's been following a a kid's mom's blog and uh, on social media, and these moms were talking about the way that sometimes when they fail in their role as mother and the goal that they set for themselves, when they when they lose it on their kids, when they treat their kids horribly. How, you know what, it's okay, I just make up for it. I, I just go and I do, some, I do some acts of kindness for a stranger. is that incredible? You know, I kind of I right my wrongs in this universe by, by you know, fixing this problem by just being nice to somebody else and, and doing this random act of kindness. And we all know, I think, pretty clearly that that random act of kindness, it's not going to fix the problem and that brokenness between mother and child. <laughs> but somehow in, in this woman's guilt... And her shame, she feels the need. Okay, well, I can make it better by going and doing some nice things to other people. I think we all do that. I think we all do that in a myriad of different ways, trying to right the wrongs ourselves and make up for the gap. We feel, we fail, we feel shame and we try to make up for it. Now what I want to talk about this morning, I don't want to just talk in theory about this kind of thing. I want to look at what the Bible says. Then the Bible speaks a word to us about why this is happening in our lives. It's from God. It's not just us making it up and trying to figure out in the dark how to live and how to make our lives better and get rid of the guilt and the shame. No, the Bible speaks to these things. The Bible teaches that there is a reason. There's a reason for all of this shame. There's a reason for the sense of failure. The Bible teaches that the source of that sense of failure and shame, it goes all the way back to the very beginning when God first made mankind. When Adam and Eve, the first couple, when they sinned against God and when they broke the relationship that they had with him. You see, what happened was this. Adam and Eve, they used to to live intimately with God. They'd walk with him in his presence. And God called them to trust him, to obey him, to know his love and to obey him as they trusted him. But you know what happened? What happened was that they didn't trust God. They disobeyed him. They didn't believe that he was loving and good to them. And as they sin, as they disobey him, all of a sudden this shame and this brokenness comes on them. And they hide. They hide from God. As they feel their brokenness and their shame and their guilt. And with that first sin, the relationship between humankind and God was broken. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. It's been broken ever since. It's been broken ever since. We've been broken because of it. You and I have been broken because of it. The problem of our guilt and our shame, is in us. There's a brokenness that's here. It's in you and me. There's a sin that's here in you and me. And we feel deeply that shame and that brokenness. We feel the shame of our sin against God, even if we might not have that label. We feel the shame of our sin against others. And how we've let them down. We feel the shame of our sin against ourselves. And we feel the shame even, I think, many of us of the sin that others have committed against us. As it burdens us and rests heavy on our shoulders. So hear this Christ city, the Bible teaches that it is this shame, this brokenness in our relationship with God. That is what we are constantly trying to repair in our lives ourselves. We're trying to fix it all the time trying to fix it by working hard. I'm going to do some good deeds over here to make up for the way that I failed as a mom. I'm going to try and hide my failures. Maybe just like Adam and Eve did in the garden so that nobody sees them so that nobody knows about me and my brokenness. I'm going to apologize for my failures. I'm just going to say, sorry, I'm going to own it. I'm going to say, sorry, and I'm going to trust it. That hopefully that makes it better. Or I'm just going to be a really nice person. <laughs> I'm going to smile a lot and then people will maybe put up with my failures and they'll they'll kind of give me some grace because I smile all the time and I'm just a nice person. We do all kinds of things to repair this brokenness and our relationship with God. But here's the thing. We can't do it. We never could. It's not good enough. And this is where the role of a priest comes in. Look at our second point, the role of a priest, because a priest is someone who bridges the gap, Between us and God. A priest is someone who mediates for us in order to fix our brokenness by dealing with our sin and restoring our relationship with God. And not just with any God, not just a substitute for God, but the God of the Bible, the God that we were made to know and to exist in a love relationship with for all of eternity, to restore us with that God, to know His goodness. And you see, after Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they were separated from intimate relationship with him, God, praise God, praise him. He didn't just turn his back on us. He didn't just do what we, I think, are tempted to do so often, you know, kind of clean your hands, wipe the dust off and just move on. No, he didn't do that. In his faithfulness and his love, he pursued us. But God couldn't simply take sinful humanity back into his presence just like that. He can't snap his fingers and make it go away. It doesn't work like that. Because our sin broke us. It stained us. It broke the relationship between us and God. And God doesn't just sweep that under the rug. He can't just sweep that under the rug. I mean, you and I can't sweep it under the rug when it happens in our own relationships. Can we? When you've tried to repair a relationship with another human being, how well has the whole forgive and forget thing worked for you? Like, honestly, how well has it worked for you? Time heals all wounds, right? Right? No, it doesn't. Uh, you know it doesn't. Time allows calluses to grow and the acuteness of the pain to lessen. Time maybe allows memories to fade and the pain to weaken. But time doesn't heal. I mean, you guys are, are people in this room that I know have had broken relationships because you're human beings. And let me ask you, when when your brother failed to live up to the name of brother. How did that wound you? When your sister failed to live up to the name of sister. How did that wound and hurt you? When your spouse, your wife, or your husband. When your friend. Failed to live up to those names. What did that do to you? How did that affect the relationship? How did that affect the relationship? How do you heal? How is a relationship not just. Not just smoothed over, but healed. How is it healed? How are you made whole? You know, apart from the grace of God, I don't think it is. Apart from the miracle of God's grace through Jesus Christ causing this deep restorative healing, I don't think it can be healed. I don't think it can be fixed in the way that we long to be fixed. And that's just talking about broken relationships between human beings. What happens? What happens then when you think about this in terms of our relationship as human beings with God? The difficulty in restoring relationships there, I think, gets ratcheted up orders of magnitude when we're trying to figure out how we get human beings who are sinful restored in relationship with a God who is holy. How does that happen? And even when God in Scripture takes the initiative to begin to restore the relationship with us. You know what happens in the Bible? It's terrifying. It's scary. This is a dangerous endeavor. Because on the one hand, there is nothing that we need more than to be brought into this relationship with God, who is love, who is good, who that we're made for. But on the other hand, on the other hand, there is great problems that happen because holiness and sin don't mix. And bringing sinful humanity close to a holy God is fraught with peril. Just look at the people of Israel. You see, Israel were God's chosen people. He loved them. He set his affection on them. He blessed them. And he he treasured them as his own. He loved this people. And he sends a man named Moses to rescue Israel from the land of Egypt. And to, to bring them into relationship with himself at this place called Mount Sinai. So he draws this broken people and he starts to bring them to himself to reconcile the relationship. But look at what happens when he does that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 to 19. And also in verse 21. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. Hebrews will later tell us in the New Testament that the mountain shook. The people were afraid and they trembled. And they stood far off. They didn't come near to God. They stood far off from him. And they said to Moses, Hey, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The people take one look at God and they appoint a mediator. They say, hey, you know, this whole like us and God thing, that sounds great, but why don't you talk to him for us? let him let him talk let you know you can represent god to us you find out what he wants us to do and, and how to act and how to live and then you can tell us to, you know you can tell him about us and you can bring us close and that will be it but don't let us come close that's too much for us it's too much for us and god in his kindness he, he actually worked through that he gave israel a mediator first through moses but then later on he established something called a priesthood the whole institution He gave them a way to be brought into this carefully mediated relationship with God. As God was brought into man's presence through the mediator. And man, humankind, was brought into God's presence through that mediator as well. And the relationship worked that way. There's a whole book of the Bible and it's called Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible and it governs this priest. If you want to have some bedtime reading sometime, uh, open up the book of Leviticus. There's lots of laws and regulations and rules there. You can read all about this. But it's a good thing. In the Bible, it's an amazing thing. Because because of this priesthood that God established, his people could actually know him. Their sin had some kind of a a representation, some sacrifice, and they could be brought into the presence of of God, or at least brought near to worship. And yet, and yet it wasn't perfect. It wasn't complete and it wasn't final. The priests often abused the roles that they were given. They were were often so full of sin and, and doing these terrible things that they failed to represent the people to God. And they failed certainly to represent God to the people. The priesthood also failed to bring full reconciliation between God and man, right? You know, Adam and Eve were walking in intimacy with God in the garden. And now through the, the priesthood into the temple, and the tabernacle, the best the people could get was to come close to a certain place at certain times of the year to get around the temple where God's presence was. It's not exactly an intimate walking with God in the garden that humankind was created for. It wasn't complete. Also, it wasn't sufficient because the priesthood could never finally deal with humanity's sin. It wasn't ever completely dealt with that way. It couldn't fix what was broken, and you and I, it couldn't mend our guilty consciences and make us right with God finally. And because of all this failure, Israel's sin and the rebellion against God, and they continued, and by the end of the Old Testament, if you read the first half of the Bible, you'll realize it's not a great story. It ends badly. The project of God's reconciliation with man, it looks bleak by the end. It doesn't look great. And people are calling out at the end of the Bible. They're saying, where are you, God? Have you abandoned us in our sin? Or are you going to take us back to yourself like you promised to be doing? Will you become our God? Will you bring us close? What's going to happen here? And they're left longing for a better priest who would finally restore mankind back into the presence of God. The good news about Jesus that we're focusing on this morning is this. is that Jesus came to fulfill completely And finally, the role of priest. That he came to bring us into the presence of God like no one else could. At the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a virgin, to once and for all heal our wounds, atone for our sin, and bridge the gap between us and God. To bring us back into intimate fellowship with God that we were created for. I want to turn together now to our last point, the greater priest. And as we consider Jesus as the greatest priest, there's only one place that we need to go. If you guys know your new testaments, you know that the, the book of Hebrews is the book that talks about Jesus as the great priest. It's the book that we're going to open up now to look at who Jesus is as he's come to fulfill his role, to mediate our relationship and bring us back into God's presence. And as we look at the book of Hebrews, I just want to share six things from that book about who Jesus is as the priest with you. So six things, six subpoints. First, and you guys know how I hate subpoints. I think. So, you know, trust me, this is worth it. So I'm going to show you six things here. First, Jesus is our great priest. He's a great priest. He fulfills that role because he mediates God's presence to us perfectly. How does he do that? How can he mediate God's presence to us perfectly? Well, because he is God. Look at Hebrews chapter one, verse three. Chapters one, verse three says this about Jesus. It says he, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, he does what God does. He he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus, like no other priest ever could, completely and fully represents God to the people. Because he is God. He's God come to earth to dwell among humankind and to show us who God is. To teach us about himself. You want to know who God is? You want to learn about what God is like? Open your Bible and look at Jesus. Look through the Gospels. Read the Gospels. Understand who God is like as you look at the life of Jesus. But brothers and sisters, second, Jesus doesn't just represent God to us. Second, he also represents perfectly us to God. This is important. And he does it because he is fully human. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, and also verses 16 to 17. There we read this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself, likewise, partook of the same things, of flesh and of blood. The God of the universe come down to humanity to share in our flesh and our blood. Look at verses 16 to 17. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers. To be called the brother of Jesus. It's incredible. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Look at Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's like us. He's one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus represents us to God perfectly because he knows what it's like to be a human being and to live in this world. You know what the implications are here? They're incredible. The implications are this. You need to hear this this morning. Jesus understands you. Jesus understands you perfectly. He gets you. Jesus understands your suffering, He understands your grief. Jesus understands your depression. Jesus understands your anxiety. Perfectly. Jesus understands your sin. He understands your failings. Jesus understands your brokenness. And Jesus understands your struggle to live in this world and to endure in faith, trusting in God. He understands all of that. When nobody gets you here in this room, when you feel frustrated, nobody's getting me. Nobody understands my suffering. They haven't suffered what I've suffered. They haven't been hurt the way that I've been hurt. You need to hear this. Jesus gets you. Jesus gets you. He understands you. He knows your needs. He knows what it's like to be hurting and broken. He knows what it's like to suffer as a human being. And he can come and you can come to God through him. He can, he can take that brokenness and those struggles and mediate on your behalf. Plead your case and your cause before the Father. He understands you and he brings you before God. He mediates like no other human person ever could. Isn't that awesome? That's the God that we serve, the Savior that we have. And as you bring your deepest burdens and cares and concerns to Jesus, the great priest, you can be confident that he will never betray you, that he will never abuse you, that he will never abuse his role or his station as a great priest that he'll never hurt you because third jesus is perfect jesus is sinless look at hebrews chapter 7 verse 28 it says this for the law appoints men in their weakness (laughs) sinful men broken men just like you and me those high priests weren't anything special just like you and me but the word of the oath It's talking about how God set up Jesus as a great high priest. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son, Jesus Christ, who has been made perfect forever. He's perfect. He's sinless. He's the head of his church, Christ City. He's the great priest. And he won't fail you. So hear this. I'm going to fail you. If I haven't yet, I will soon. Fred's going to fail you. Jonathan will fail you. Other leaders in this church, they will fail you. I'm not sinless and my sin will one day hurt you and so will theirs. It's going to happen. Jesus won't fail you. And he's the head of his church. We're just servants. We're just imperfect servants trying to do his will. He's the head of his church and he's perfect. He won't fail you. You can be confident in his love. You can trust him. He's always going to do what's right. He's always going to do what's good. He's always going to love you and care for you in ways that we can't. Another reason you can trust him, though, is that, fourth, Jesus is a great priest who once and for all finally deals completely with our sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, Hebrews 9, verse 11, and Hebrews 9, verse 26. Jesus has no need... Like those high priests, the priests that we were talking about earlier, the Old Testament priests. He has no need like them to offer sacrifices every day. First for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. One sacrifice for all time and it's finished. Hebrews 9, 11, Jesus entered once for all. Once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. Look at the next verse, 926. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin forever by the sacrifice of himself. His work, his atonement is complete. It's finished. What can wash away your sin? What can wash away your sin? What can restore sinful, broken humans into relationships with the Holy God? What can do that? What can heal that relationship? Not just cover it over, but heal it. What could be offered to God in place of our rebellion, our sin, our lack of trust, our failures, and hints in relationship with him? The blood of a bull or a goat? No. No. Your effort to try harder to be a better person? No. No, your apologies. No, your gifts to the church. No, that's not going to cut it. Your service to others. No, your good deeds. No, your life sacrificed for God. No, none of that can do anything to atone for your sin and make you right with God. But Jesus life, Jesus life poured out in your place. That can do something. Now that's different. His blood his worth, his value as the beloved son of God, the beloved only son of God, fully sinless, fully God, and fully given for you. That can make a difference. That can make you clean. His sacrifice can atone for your sins so that it's finished. They're dealt with. They're done. His death can make a permanent Repair of the relationship between you and God. His sacrifice can make you whole and clean. And there's something beautiful about Jesus' sacrifice because it functions in two ways. It's objective because it actually deals with your sin, right? So it's actually right with God here. It's also subjective because finally it can do something about your guilty conscience and the shame that you feel, the guilt that you feel as you fail. He cleanses you subjectively that's what we're going to look at fifth jesus sacrifice it deals with our guilty consciences it deals with our shame look at hebrews 10 verses 21 and 22 they say this since we have a great priest over the house of god let us draw near come to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts Sprinkled clean from an evil, guilty, sinful, shameful conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus can cleanse your conscience before God. Jesus deals with your shame. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. God doesn't condemn you. God washes you clean through the blood of Jesus. He doesn't condemn you. So here's the question. Why should you condemn you? You have no need to condemn yourself if you're trusting in Jesus. Hold on to to Jesus. Trust that, that he's the Savior who can sprinkle your guilty, dead conscience and make it new that thing that you're just burdened by today, trust Jesus for it. His blood's enough to cover your sin. He makes you right with God. He cleanses our consciences. He looks at us, he says, he says, don't be ashamed. He says, I've forgiven you. He says, I've washed you with my blood. He says, I love you. He says to you, brothers and sisters, he says, I am not ashamed of you. Jesus is not ashamed of you. He's a great priest. And six, unlike the priests who came before, Jesus represents us forever. He's not going away. Look at Hebrews 7, verse 25. Because consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. He doesn't have that whole problem that human beings have. You know, we get old and we die. (laughs) That old priesthood, it's like one priest comes, dies, replaced by another. Oh, oh, he dies, he's gone. Another one comes up, oh, he dies, he's gone. No, Jesus is all these things we've been talking about, but he's those things for forever. He will always and eternally represent us before God. He's not going to get senile on us. Right? He's he's not going to lose his memory of who we are. Who are you again? Do I represent you? I can't remember. That's not going to happen to Jesus. The, The whole death problem is dealt with with Jesus. He eternally lives to represent us as the great priest. You know what the application point is from these Six things we've looked at in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews makes one application point from all of us. We're going to make the same point. Just this simple point. If we have this priest, if we have this priest, then come, come close to God. Then be confident and draw near to God through him. Don't be afraid, but draw near in confidence and full assurance of hope that Jesus is enough. That he's the priest who can save you once and for all. Come near to God through him. Look at how Hebrews says it. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near. Come near. Draw near in intimacy to the throne of grace that we may have mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Hebrews 10, verse 19 and verse 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near, come close in intimacy with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus alone, he's the great priest who's come. He's come to heal our brokenness and bring us into the presence of God. He draws us near. We can come intimately close through him. Only he is that priest. And he makes all the difference. But despite this, despite this, I'm shocked. I'm shocked and I'm shocked in my own heart how how I think I struggle. And I know you struggle to come to God through Jesus. I think that despite all this, we often don't come to God through Jesus at all. I think despite all of this, despite Jesus as a great priest, I think we still try to deal with our shame and our brokenness ourselves. We still try, apart from Jesus, the great high priest, to make ourselves right with God. And we seek false substitutes and false comforts to make things right. You know, last year I was serving uh, at the South Vancouver Neighborhood Church, uh, Christ City. If, if you're not familiar, we have three churches, one in East Van, one in South Vancouver, one here. I was serving the South Vancouver Church, and there's this the situation happened that I'll never forget. After the gathering, a, a woman from Eastern Europe, she, she came up, uh, walked, walked up the aisle and came to talk to me, and she was obviously broken. She was weeping. But you know... You know, like the weeping, the ugly cry, just just guilt ridden and heavy and burdened weeping. Not ashamed of how broken she was. She just let those tears fall. She's wringing her hands and she's just desperate. She's agitated. She's trying to find something to make it better. And she came up to me and she said, pastor, (laughs) pastor, I need you to forgive my sins. She didn't want to tell me what she'd done, but, but she felt so burdened. Said, I need you to forgive me. And there's a tradition in part of the Eastern church where, where the, the pastor would serve a certain kind of bread and then they would take the bread and they would kind of have abolition for their sin or whatever it's called. You know, have that all taken away. And I said to her, I sister, I don't do that, but I know who does. I know a great priest. His name's Jesus. You can come to him. Di- you don't need to go through me. You can come to God directly through him. And I share with her First John chapter 1, verse 9, which says this. As if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I said, come to Jesus. I'll pray with you. I'd love to pray with you, but come to Jesus. Let's go to him together. He's a great priest. He brings us right into the presence of God. Let's talk to him. But here's the the heartbreaking thing. Honestly, she didn't want Jesus. She was looking for a false substitute. She wanted me to cleanse her guilty conscience in a way that I can't and no one else ever could. And one of the most heartbreaking things that I've experienced in pastoral ministry is watching her walk away, weeping and guilty and burdened, full of shame, and refusing to go to Jesus. Wasn't good enough to go to Jesus. Wasn't good enough to come to God through him and to be forgiven. She had to find a priest. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 to 6, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Brothers and sisters, you need to hear that again. Hear this and rejoice and praise God. Paul says, for there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ. There is one God and there is only one mediator. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is the mediator between God and men. The man, Jesus Christ. The good news... Of Christmas is the good news that God has bent down on his knees to look at us face to face, to look at us in the eye, to take on human flesh, and to be our priest, to mediate our relationship with God, to restore what's broken. So, as we wrap up, I got some questions for you. As you live between the advents of Jesus, as you sin, as you suffer, as you're grieved by the sins of others this season, when you fail yet again to be what you know you should be, when the tensions increase and you lose it on your kids this season because there's just so much going on, when the family pressures mount and you blow up on your spouse or your roommate or the driver next to you, when the loneliness in this season is deafening and you start to go to false substitutes to just numb the pain, when all of that happens in the midst of your brokenness and woundedness and sin, do you see Jesus? Do you see him as the great priest? Will you come to him? Will you draw near to him with confidence? Knowing that he can mediate on your behalf and bring you into a relationship with God. That his sacrifice is enough to cover your sin. His work can heal your guilty conscience. He asks you only this. Come to me, leave your sin, and be forgiven. Come to me, leave your sin, and be forgiven. He will bring you into the presence of God forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you through Jesus. We bring our anxiety, our depression, our hurt, our sin, our suffering, our pain, our disease, our struggles. And we say, God, would you help us? Would you meet us in our need? We've come to you to find help in our time of need. We come confident knowing that Jesus is a great high priest who brings us to you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening.
0: For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.